All right. Well, if you grew up in my generation uh, and you were a Christian, I was a homeschool kid, so all I listened to was Christian music. Uh, that was like the anthem of my generation. That was the anthem of my virginity right there. Um, so thank you, DC Talk, uh, for that. Uh, thank you guys for indulging me. Uh, we are here in the last week of our series called Offensive Sex. We don't want to just be offended by sex, um, as so many churches are, as so many Christians are, we believe that God actually created sex, and that God created sex to be good, and so instead of just playing defense, which there are some things we need to defend against, but we're going to not just play defense, we're going to play offense when it comes to this area of sex, and so we've spent the last three weeks, my wife Melody has joined me, and it's been awesome getting to teach this with her. We spent the last few weeks discussing that, studying particularly the book of Song of Solomon, which has just so much information about God's design for husband and wife uh, to be blessed in this area of sex. So what we've done is we've allowed you guys to text message in questions throughout the last three weeks. And we've had a ton of good questions. We've been able to answer one question that you texted in at the end of every message. Uh, but what we found is we had a ton more good questions that we didn't have time to get to. So instead of our message today, we're just going to take the rest of your questions. The questions that came in the last three weeks, uh, we are going to be answering those this morning. So it'll be a little bit different uh, style, a little bit different format, but we think these questions are really important. And what we really see is that uh, these questions are going to help us to help you to play offense in the area of purity. Uh, we've looked at why sex is good and why sex needs to be blessed inside the marriage. Um, but we also know that outside of marriage, outside of God's design, it can be harmful. Man, it can destroy lives. It can destroy people. Uh, and so today, we don't want to just help you play offense in the area of sex, but we want to help you play offense in your purity. And so as we've been through the last three weeks, we'll share some of our stories. Uh, hopefully, you can learn from our mistakes. Usually, they're my mistakes uh, when we get to the mistakes. Uh, but hopefully, you can learn from some of those and, and maybe even learn from some of the things that we've done right and be encouraged in that. So there, there will be some gray area in some of these questions. Some of this stuff, the Bible's not going to speak clearly on, and we're just going to give you our opinion. Uh, but we don't want to hide from those questions. We think that they're important as well. So without further ado, we're going to cover everything that's been texted in. So Mel, tell us the first thing that got texted in. The first text says this. This is the church. I love this church. And we love whoever texted this in. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was literally like four minutes into the first message we got that text. So somebody was excited to talk about sex. Whoever you are, thank you uh, for your excitement. Uh, and thank you for participating. Uh, our first legitimate question that we're going to go over actually came from last week. Last week we looked at Song of Solomon 2.15 where Solomon says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. And so the vineyard is symbolic of, of marriage, symbolic of intimacy. Uh, and so Solomon says there's little foxes that sneak in. It's not just the big bad wolf that ruins the garden. It's the little things that you don't even notice, the things that you're not even aware of that over time are going to sneak in and destroy your marriage. And so we looked at six foxes that we need to play offense against, six foxes that we need to be aware of. Um, and so one of those is what we call the child-centered home. And this question, I think, was inspired by that part of our discussion. The question is this, how do you deal with a child that gets very mad if you do things with your spouse but without the child? Well, if the spouse is the child's other parent, I, I would explain to them that this is healthy, and I would tell them, like Troy's dad told him, um, 
the best thing I can do for your mom, or the best thing I can do for you is to love your mom, or maybe in this case, it's to love your dad. And kid, if you're sitting in this room and you're mad that your parents are spending time without you, just be glad. Remember that it's healthy. And there are millions of kids out there whose parents are divorced or maybe they were even ne never married um, who would kill to be in your position, who would love to have two parents that love each other. So be grateful. And yes, it means that you might not be spending every minute of every night with them, but just be glad and be grateful. That's right. Um, if the spouse is not the child of the other parent, this gets tricky. And my guess is this is probably coming from this perspective, from a, a broken home, from a remarriage situation. Um, and so I would tell you to be more cautious in dealing with your child if, it, if, the t uh, if the other spouse is not the other parent. doesn't mean that you stop going out with the spouse at all. Your marriage is not going to work if you don't prioritize the marriage. It's just not. It's going to fall apart. If you put your kid above your spouse, the, the, the marriage will fall apart. Um, but it does mean you need to, like I said, just, just maybe take some extra time take some extra compassion in talking to your kid and, and to protect that child's feelings. Understand this, every child whose parents aren't together dreams about mom and dad getting back together. Whether they, whether they never even knew mom and dad together or they were there when they got divorced, every kid wants mom and dad to get back together. Every letter, letter to Santa Claus, I want my parents to get back together. Like That's their dream. And so when you're spending time with that new spouse, it feels to them like you're crushing their dream. Uh, now, I'm not telling you not to spend time with that new spouse. If you've moved on, if God's given you a new marriage, man, lean into that marriage. Embrace that marriage. But understand it's normal for that to, to be difficult for your child. Uh, so talk them through it. Love them through it. Uh, the big mistake that people make in those remarriage situations is they'll tell the kid, Nobody, you're always going to be more important to me than anybody else. And if you tell them that, they're going to want to hold you to it. Well, if I'm more important to you than anybody else, how come you're spending time with him? So don't make that mistake. If you're a single parent right now, don't make the mistake of saying nobody will ever be more important to me than you. Uh, because you are, you are stealing from your future marriage. If you want God to bless you with another marriage, one day that other person needs to be more important than your kid. What you can tell your child is this, you are super important to me. I love you just as much as I ever did. You are just as important as you ever were. But I also love this new husband. I also love this new wife. And I need to make sure that I, that I protect that marriage, that I spend time with them. Doesn't mean you're not important. Doesn't mean I'm not going to spend time with you. Um, but my spouse matters. And just be clear with them. They may not respond well to it. It might be difficult. In fact, it probably will. Uh, don't allow, and this is the whole child-centered home concept, don't allow your kids' feelings to dictate your decisions. You've got to do what's right, whether your kid's for it or against it. Just like you've got to do what's right and spend time with your kid when they become a teenager and they don't want you to see them at all. Um, you still need to spend time with your child just because your kid doesn't want to see you then doesn't mean, okay, I'll see you after you graduate. Um, go raise yourself. Um, you're going to lean in and you're going to spend time with your child whether they like it or not. In the same way when they're younger and they don't want you spending time with that other spouse, you need to do what's right, not just what the kid wants. That's good. Another question we got from last week is this. What if your husband doesn't believe your marriage has abuse, betrayal, and or neglect? He just wants to look at the little foxes. I'm praying a lot, but just feel lost. Any attempt I make at trying to improve our marriage and our non-existent sex life only drives him farther away. He is so emotionally on edge that he flips out over little things. Wow. Some tough situations. A couple words jumped out at me there. Our non-existent sex life. Um, that, that's a scary place to be. Um, first, I, I want to speak to this wife, whoever you are. I hope that you're here today. Um, you need to communicate, communicate, communicate with your husband. Um, and he needs to know exactly what you're going through. He needs to know exactly 
how you feel. He needs, he needs to know how badly that you hurt him. I don't know if it's abuse or betrayal or neglect in the past, but whatever that is, he needs to know how it's affected you. He needs to know that even though it's in the past, doesn't mean that it's not still hurting you today and that you need to, to come together to work through this. What I'd do is I'd sit down with him, and maybe before I sit down with him, I'd make some notes about what you want to say. Because sometimes if I've got a bunch of stuff I want to say, and I sit down and I get one thing out, and then I forget the rest. Uh, so I'll do this sometimes. I'll make notes heading into a meeting just to make sure that I get a chance to cover everything I wanted to say. And I'd tell him, hey, i got to tell you some serious stuff, and i got to get some things off my, my chest. Um, and I need you to wait until I'm done before you respond. Because he's going to want to respond to the first thing, and then it goes a totally different direction, and you never get to get everything out. He needs to know exactly how you feel. He needs to know exactly how he's hurt you. Um, and so ask him, man, I, I need you to just to listen to me before you respond. Uh, make sure there's no distractions in that conversation. I mean, no cell phone, no kid, no other family member, no ball game on the TV in the background. Like, it needs to be just the two of you to have a, a legitimate, serious conversation. And when you do it, don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to protect his feelings. Don't try to make excuses for him. Tell him how you feel. He can't help you fix it if he doesn't know how bad it is. If, you, if you're like, worry, well, if I say what I really feel, he's not gonna, it's going to hurt him. I know that you love him, but love him enough to tell him the truth. Because your marriage will fall apart if you don't do that. And I don't mean to prophesy that over you, but it's just the reality. We see this happen all the time. Uh, so don't be mean-spirited. I'm not saying to throw out names and, and cuss words and blank this and at you. Um, but, but be very, very direct and very honest. Don't hold anything back. Get it all out there. Whatever it is, get it all out there. Like we said before, men, we don't take hints well. Spell it out for him. This is exactly what I need from you. This is exactly how I feel. And our second recommendation is to get marriage counseling, even if your spouse won't. So remember to give it 100% even if he's not giving it 100% or even 50%. You need the help, and getting the help even without him is going to tell him how serious it is. So he needs to feel your pain here, and this may help him wake up. That's really good. Um, get, get help. Get counseling. Uh, next thing I would recommend is it says that you're praying all the time here. You're praying a lot here, and that's awesome. Keep that up. But I want to help you to, to pray the best things. So when you go to God for this situation, be very specific with God about what you need. Intercede for your husband. Intercede means stand in the gap. So if God's here and your husband's here, you're interceding. You're standing. You're bridging that gap for him. So, so pray. Maybe you know. Maybe, I don't know if it's abuse, betrayal, neglect. There was some sin there. there. Maybe there's some hurt there. Hurt people hurt people. So maybe it stems from, from hurt from his past. Begin to play, pray that that hurt that he's feeling heals. Um, but, but go before God, intercede for your husband, pray that God opens his eyes to how serious this is and how badly you guys need marriage counseling. Man, that this is, this is not something to procrastinate on, this is urgent. But also understand this, God won't do what you can't, what, excuse me, God can't do what you can't. He's not going to. So in other words, God's not going to wake your husband up in the middle of the night and be like, you have neglected your wife, repent. That's not going to happen. Uh, you can pray for it all day long, he's not going to do it unless you've already gone to him and been honest, and said, here's what's going on. Now, once you've done your part, now you've empowered God to do the part that you can't do. You've empowered God to burn down into his soul how much pain you really are in and how he needs to get this taken care of. But until you do that, man, I, I don't think your prayer is going to be extremely effective. And one more thing for the wife, keep pursuing your husband. Do not give up. You cared enough to ask him this question, and we are so glad. So see this thing through. It's going to be really easy to become really bitter, and bitter leads to unforgiveness. So don't let that take root in your heart. 
Um, Galatians 6, 9 just has a word of encouragement. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, but at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So women, we want to be, we want to feel like we're being pursued. We don't want to feel like we're in this on our own. We want our husbands to initiate date nights. We want our husbands to initiate sex. We just want our husbands to pursue us. You got that? Making notes. Yeah. so many families break apart because it's mom and kids over here and it's dad and his work over there. So I don't know if your husband is in the room today, but I can say to all the husbands and all the wives in here, if your spouse thinks something serious, then it's serious. I don't care how silly you think it is or how unimportant it might be to you, but if it's hurting your spouse, then it's going to hurt your marriage. And if it's hurting your marriage, it's going to hurt you. So we have all have blind spots and marriage counseling can help us see us see us through those blind spots really really good stuff um if you are the husband uh in this situation or a similar situation um let me say this and this probably is going to apply to all of us somehow you could be a great husband in a lot of other areas you might be a great provider you might be a great nurturer you could be a great father you might be a great protector a great spiritual leader you, you could have a lot of things right and sometimes we we give into pride when we have that stuff together and we think, well, because I do this, well, so-and-so-and-so other husband, he doesn't do that. He doesn't encourage this way that I do. He's not as good a parent as I am, so ignore this other thing. Man, we've got to be humble enough to allow God and our spouses to point out, here's our flaws. Here's the places where we don't measure up. Uh, when I was a teenager, I totally had this mentality. I was a nerd, uh, and so I was an academic superstar. I had like a 4.2 GPA. I had full-ride scholarships anywhere I wanted to go. I was most likely to succeed, all that kind of stuff. Um, I had a job. I kind of was financially independent. I paid for my own gas, my own insurance, my dates, my clothes. Like, I did all that stuff. Um, I was really involved in my church. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't party. I didn't have sex. So because I did all those things right, I thought, you can't talk to me, Mom and dad. Um, And and I had this real arrogance and this real pride thinking I was untouchable. So anytime my parents came to me about, I didn't clean my room, uh, or I didn't keep my word, or I didn't show respect, I'd play the, well, you could have a kid who's doing all this other stuff card. Well, all my friends are sleeping around. All my friends are partying. All my friends are doing this, and all my friends are doing that, and and thought that somehow that was going to protect me from accountability for the ways that I didn't measure up, from the ways that I didn't follow through, from the ways that I didn't obey. Um, and it was wrong. It was pride. I was a punk, really, uh, truth be told. Uh, and, and so maybe, I don't know who this husband is, but maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you, you're allowing the, your strengths in some areas to make you blind to your weakness in others. And I just encourage you to be humble in that. And remember Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is a great time to practice humility. It takes humility to get help, so humble yourself. So that brings us to our next question. Is it true that in the Lord's eyes, birth control is a sin? You're not supposed to be part of sex in general or in marriage? Wow, great question. Um, Birth control didn't exist in Bible times. So the Bible is silent on birth control. I can't give you chapter and verse that says, thou shalt not take the pill or thou shalt use a condom. Like, it's not in there. So what we can do is we can try to use some biblical principles and understanding of God's design for for reproduction and for sex. Um, But we'll just tell you this straight up. We have used birth control. We've used a couple of different birth control methods. Um, We are not anti-birth control. We think it can be a very good thing when it's done right. But we do have some advice we'd like to give um, just to speak into some people's lives in a couple specific areas. 
Yeah, well, right before Troy and I got married, I went on the birth control pill um, before we got married, and I just went on it blindly. I just thought all my friends are on it, and my mom was on it before she got married, so I'm just going to go to the doctor and say, sign me up. So everything was good for about a year, and then I started getting, like, random problems, like um, my eyes were super, super dry, and I was exhausted all the time, and I couldn't figure out why, and I kept going to different doctors, and they kept telling me to do different tests, like I had a sleep study done, I had tests for my thyroid, and just all these crazy things, and everything was normal, and so I finally met with somebody, and she said, it's probably because of the birth control pill, so I went off of it, um, like cold turkey, and my symptoms started to get better. I'm not saying not to go on the pill, but I know that I should have prayed about what I was going to do with Troy and Troy, and I know that if I would have prayed, Lord, should I go on birth control pills or not, I know the Holy Spirit would have told me but whether I would have listened or not, that's a whole nother story. But um, I know that it would have caused me a lot of less stress and heartache. So women, if you're thinking about going on birth control, if you're on your son now, I would just encourage you to really think about it. That's great advice. Um, another just practical thing, there, there's a whole epidemic now. It's a small percentage of people, but there is a percentage um, who can't have sex because of the birth control pill. Girls, so many girls are started really early on in their teenage years because they have a difficult period or because they have acne or, or things that really aren't connected uh, to birth control. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of a, just a pill that they give a ton of people now. And there are people that, that literally get married and find out that they can't have sex. Uh, and they've got to go through therapy. They've got to go through months of stuff just to get back to that place. And it's a really difficult foundation to build a marriage on. So, again, we're not saying don't use the birth control pill. What we are saying is do your research and pray it through. Uh, before you do. And if your teenage daughter is on birth control, I would say I would change that very quickly. Um, there are other ways to, to accomplish those things. Um, so, and then there's also the whole, yeah, you're giving her a license to go have sex without repercussions. So that's a different conversation, but be careful with that. Um, another one we like to discuss is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, it's called na natural family planning. This is what churches like the Catholic Church, who are against other forms of birth control, recommend. Basically what this is, when it's used for birth control, it's intentionally abstaining from sex around the woman's ovulation. So the woman's going to ovulate roughly this day, so we're going to take five days around that day and not have sex so that we don't get pregnant. Um, there's a couple of things to be aware of if you go this route. Uh, the first is, okay, obviously this is just risky. Uh, as far as not having a baby, because ovulation doesn't always happen on the same day. Every cycle is in 28 days, all those kind of things. Um, so just know that, that you're taking a risk. Be prepared mentally, emotionally, spiritually to get pregnant if you go this route. Secondly, I would just say that for any form of birth control. If you're having sex, you better be prepared to get pregnant. We know people who have had sex with a vasectomy and gotten pregnant. We know people who have had sex on the birth control pill and gotten pregnant. Uh, none of these things are foolproof. So if you're having sex, be prepared. There's a chance that you're going to have a baby. Um, but secondly, if, if you're going to go the natural family planning route, um, what, what you're doing, and so a lot of people, okay, they go from five days to, well, it's risky, so we'll take seven days off or we'll take nine days off. And so what you're doing is you're shrinking your windows for being intimate and having sex with your spouse. And so you're not having sex four or five days when she's on her period, and now you're not having sex eight or nine days around her ovulation, and now you've cut out half the month. Um, and so if you do this, if you go this route, be super intentional to come together and be intimate when you do have the opportunity. Because if not, you're down to two or three times a month, um, and, and your, your intimacy is going to dry up very, very quickly. Um, 
ultimately, no matter what form of birth control you choose to use, I would ask this question. What's your motivation for using birth control? Why are you doing this? Are, are you using birth control because you have a plan to build a family one day, but you're trying to achieve a couple specific financial or educational goals between now and then? Awesome. Uh, that's what we did. Uh, we, we are not against that. We are not anti-birth control. I think there's some really good reasons to be on birth control. But if your reason to be on birth control is, I just don't want to hurt my career. I don't want to lower my standard of living. I want to be married and have the benefits of marriage, but I really don't want to have any extra responsibility. Then I'd encourage you to really pray that thing through. Because ultimately your motivation might be selfish. And God never calls us to selfishness. God always calls us to selflessness. God never calls me to exalt myself. He always calls me to exalt others, to exalt him. So if my motivation for birth control is simple selfishness, I think that, that you really should pray that through. That's good stuff. And that leads us right into our next question. What do I do if I want to have more kids but my husband does not? Submit. The husband is the head of the house. I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, ultimately the husband is the head of the household, and he's going to answer to God for the decisions that are made in the marriage. So men, listen up. Husbands, future husbands, listen up. Um, some of the best advice I ever got was from a wise old pastor uh, that, that I still know and, and I respect very much. Um, he has two grown adult kids. He says his biggest regret is that he did not allow his wife to have more kids. She wanted more than two kids from the beginning, and he said, he just put his foot down. This is all we're going to have. We can't afford more kids. I don't have time for more kids. I don't want the stress of more kids. All we're going to have is two children. And now that his kids are grown, now that he's a grandfather, he says his, his greatest regret because he said something in his wife died. He says God placed something in her that desired to bring life. God placed something in her that needed to do this. And I'm not saying every woman is this way. I'm not, you know, you may not be that, and that's okay. I'm not trying to put pressure on women. But what I am saying is this. Husband, if your wife wants more kids, you better be real sensitive to that. You better be real open to that. I understand the practicals of it. I understand looking at the finances. I understand making sure you've got insurance and, and all those things. But if your wife has is a God-given, God-birthed desire to do something, I believe that you have a God-given responsibility to help her accomplish that. Um, and, and so I don't think the flip side is necessarily true. If the guy wants more kids and the woman's like, nope, this, I went through pregnancy and I'm not doing this anymore, I think you need to honor and respect that. My mom, got, she wanted a bunch of kids. She had two, and after my little brother, she was done uh, because she was so sick through her pregnancies, and she's like, we're not doing this anymore. Don't stay away from me. Um, so <laughs> that's pretty much how it went down in my family, and I think and my dad respected that and he honored that, and I think he was wise for that. The one thing I would say is if one spouse wants more kids and, and, and this woman specifically does not, um, I'd consider adoption. Um, I think adoption is a great way to, to continue to build the family. There's a ton of kids out there that are unwanted. There's a ton of kids out there that, that don't have a parent. Uh, and I don't think there's anything we can do on earth that makes us more like God the Father than adopt. God is in the adoption business. He has adopted us into his family. He has claimed children who are not his own. And so I think it's an awesome Awesome thing to do. So I would definitely consider that. Um, but specifically for the woman who asked this question, I know I haven't given you any advice in this. Uh, so, so real quick, let me speak to you. Um, I would be really honest with your husband about what you need and be really direct about how, how badly this desire is in you. I wouldn't just drop the conversation. Maybe you told him, I don't want more kids as before, and now your mind has changed and you feel like, well, I can't bring it up because I'm, I'm going back on my word. Um, tell him how you feel. Tell him where you're at. And pray that God softens his heart. Uh, and maybe make him listen to this podcast. That might help. Uh. 
So does this mean you want 10 too? Is that okay? Uh, we'll talk later. <laughs> and husbands, just have grace on your wife if your wife is still figuring this out. There are some days when I literally want eight to 10 kids. And then there are other days when I don't even want the kid that I have. So just have grace <laughs> for your kids. Um, so we're going to answer the next two questions together because they're pretty similar. And if you thought it's already awkward because we've said sex many times, it's about to get more awkward. So Brace yourselves. All right, so the first question is this. We hear so much about masturbation in our culture, and it's presented as normal and some think healthy. Will you weigh in on this from a biblical Christian perspective? And the second question is this. My parents brainwashed me into thinking that self-sex is okay. My friend from church said it was no different than real sex. I'm a virgin but can't stop sometimes. My question is, is self-sex any different than real sex? How can I forgive my parents? You guys ready for this? Uh, I'm not. Um, <laughs> and I had a week to prepare. Um, let, me, let me do the easy part first. Uh, you said, how can I forgive my parents? This is the second time we've seen a question pop up where, where mom and dad taught something, uh, and it hurt the child. And how do I forgive my parents? Uh, let me say this. Galatians chapter 6 says that, I think it's verse 7, that um, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Um, I believe that, that now is a great time to sow into your future parenting. Um, every parent makes mistakes. Every parent blows it. Every person in this room is screwed up because of some decision mom and dad made. Every single one of us. Every one of us has, bears, bears marks. It may be minor. It may be major. But every single one of us has something that, man, when mom and dad said yes to this, it was terrible. Or when they said no to this, it was terrible. Or they're just terrible. But every... Every one of us ha has, has the, those wounds from our parents. Um, and so I would assume a posture of grace and forgiveness to mom and dad. Um, I'm sure that they're trying their best. I'm sure that they gave you their best advice. Um, and, and, man, if they missed it on an area, and I think they did miss it on this area, um, extend grace to them. Extend forgiveness to them. Ask God to help them to forgive. Um, so that's the easy part. Now let's get to the hard part. Um, there's really not a lot to weigh in on biblically when it comes to masturbation. Uh, there's a couple of Old Testament verses that people can try and apply to masturbation, but mostly I think they're a little bit of a stretch. Um, so here's where I'll go. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sits down and he gives his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he takes a lot of Old Testament principles and he raises the bar. So he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit murder. Well, I tell you, don't even call your brother a fool. Don't even feel that way about him in your heart. So, so he raises the bar and he does the same thing. When it comes to sex, in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he says, You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I think this applies to women lusting after men or women lusting after women, men lusting after men. Lust in general uh, across the board. That, hey, if you've got lust towards somebody, you're committing adultery with them in your heart. Here's what I think when it comes to masturbation. It's very difficult to masturbate without some sort of lust. It just is. I can't conceive of a situation where you're fantasizing about someone, do, you're doing something with someone, uh, you're remembering something from the past, you're looking at someone scantily clad or naked, you're watching pornographic movies, whatever stimulant you use, uh, it's hard to do that without lust. Uh, and so I don't think the Bible speaks directly on masturbation because it speaks very clearly on lust. Uh, and so I would say uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a beneficial thing. I believe that it is sin. Um, I'd say if you are married, 
and you were masturbating, and this is a, a rising situation where men especially, but even women, are finding sexual satisfaction, usually in pornography, um, what, what you're not doing is you're not able to then satisfy your spouse. That God-given healthy sexual desire, you're satisfying it in some other way, um, and so that's extremely selfish. Again, God never calls us to selfishness. He always calls us to selflessness. My youth pastor used to say that when you masturbate, you make love to the person you love the most. Um, and so um, I think it's an extremely selfish act. Um, I think it's an act that puts me at the center of my worship, me at the center of my focus. Um, and so I don't think it's beneficial in, in really any way. I know that they teach you in school it's normal. I know that people tell you that. Maybe your parents have told you that. Maybe parents in this room have said that. Um, and I'm not trying to go against your parents, but ultimately I have to yield authority of the word of God. And if lusting is sin, it just is. So how do you stop? This is the, the difficult question, right? Well, first of all, I'd repent. Come to God and, and, and repent. Apologize. If you honestly thought it was okay because school told you it was or your parents told you it was, you can say that, God, I really didn't know. But I'm sorry that I stepped outside of your best for me. Um, but repent. Be honest with God. Come to him. Um, secondly, start putting up parameters to protect yourself. Whatever those lust triggers are for you, whether they're pictures, whether it's a style of music, whether it's conversation or people that you hang out with or, or being alone or whatever it is, start putting up protection for yourself uh, to, to not take that step. And stand on the word of God. First Corinthians says that any temptation that seizes you, um, that God's going to give you a way out. That God's going to give you the ability to say no. So look for that way out. Stand on his word. Stand on his promise. And if you fall, repent and start over. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times. So God is not expecting perfection. He is calling us to pursue holiness. Um, so, so pursue it. Sell out to it. Uh, next question here. What do you recommend doing when you need to move out? I could live with my boyfriend and split costs, or I could struggle and handle it on my own. Well, I'm just going to start out by sharing um, Troy and I's story. Um, we met in Oklahoma um, many years ago. Someone asked me recently if we met at Taco Bell, and I said no. But we met in Oklahoma with a friend of mine over Skype. So, um, But I'm from Pennsylvania, and I went to school in, uh, I went to college in Florida. And during my senior year of college, Troy and I started dating uh, long distance. He lived in Florida, and I lived in and he proposed two days after I graduated in May of 2009. And our wedding wasn't until November of that year. And so after I graduated, I moved back home to Pennsylvania for about a month and a half to kind of wrap up some things and uh, work a little bit and just get ready. I just couldn't wait to see my fiance, so I had to move out here before the wedding. And um, so I moved out here in June of 2009, and I moved here with $200 in my checking account, no savings, pretty much the clothes on my back, a bunch of books, and a car that wasn't paid off at the time. Um, so I had almost And student loans. And Don't forget the student loans. Uh, thank you. We need to talk about forgiveness next week. Um, so, <laughs> so when I moved down here, it would have been really easy. Troy had a house um, that we live in now, and it would have been really easy for me to just move in there. It would have been a whole lot cheaper. Um, but we are committed to purity, so when I moved here, uh, Cody and Mercedes grew our church home. They offered me um, to rent a room in their house, and so that was awesome, but it was not expensive, but I had to pay rent, and it would have been so much cheaper just to move in with Troy, but like I said, we are committed to purity. Um, and then, and Cody and Mercedes were committed to our purity, too, because they told me that I wasn't allowed in their house without with Troy without significant other, so that was really big. And God has called all of us 
to be holy, holy means to be set apart. So if you want to move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, that's great. But we recommend, well, not recommend, we're telling you to get married first. Go to the courthouse if you have to. We waited five months uh, before we got married because I wanted a nice wedding back in Pennsylvania, and we wanted to get big premarital counseling as well. So it was worth the wait for us. But if you can't wait, that's okay. Just do it God's way. Remember that marriage before sex is always God's plan. Say that, say that last line again. Marriage before sex is always God's plan. Don't think you're better than marriage or better than God's plan for you. Amen. Um, one uh, thing that, that the enemy oftentimes uses is a really good excuse for people to move in again. But together is the finances. Look at all the money we could save. We can start saving for a wedding. We can do all these things. Our marriage is going to be better. Uh, but you know what Jesus said? Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. You can't. And so if you are going to serve money by moving in together, you can't serve God. It's just, it's just the way that it is. Um, it's not convenient. It's not fun. I hated saying goodnight to her every night. The greatest thing when we got married, like the thing that I loved the most, was just not having to say goodnight, not having to take her home. Like she could stay with me. It was awesome. But I wouldn't have appreciated that nearly as much if we would have lived together before we got married. Um, it was such a blessing when we finally got to it. Um, Ephesians 5, 3 says this, Among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. What's a hint? If, I, if you ask me for a hint about your Christmas present, what are you looking for? You're not looking for the answer. You're not looking for me to say, I got you an Xbox, whatever. You're looking for, you're trying to find clues to lead you to the conclusion. Right? You're, trying, you're just looking for a little piece of information that's going to help you get to the answer. So what's a hint of sexual morality? It's not sex. It's just anything that leads you to sex. Uh, so what happens when you shack up? Leads you to sex. It just does. Like when at the zoo, when they have two elephants and they want to make a new baby elephant, what do they do with the two elephants? They put them in the same pen. Right? They put them in the same cage. Why? Because when you live together and you've got hormones and she's got hormones, at some point in time, the mood's going to strike. That's, that's just the, the way that it works. I'm not saying nobody could ever live with somebody and not have sex. I'm just saying you're drastically increasing the potential that you're going to fall. You're just putting yourself in, in a bad situation. Not only that, I don't care if you are the most holy, pure person in the history of the world. I'm sure Melody could have lived with me before marriage and not had sex with me because that is just who she is. Um, but you know what she would have been doing to me? She would have driven me crazy. I would have been incredibly frustrated. Uh, and so even though she could have done it, um, the, and, and I could have done it because she would have forced it, um, the, there is, again, it's a, it's a selfish thing. Man, that you're putting your partner in a position to fail. You're putting them in a position to be extremely frustrated and extremely um, upset. So highly, highly recommend against it. Last little tip for you from 1 Thessalonians 5.17. God says avoid even the very appearance of evil. What do people think the minute two young people move in together? They're having sex. That's what people think. That's what it looks like. That's the way you, you connect the dots quickly. And so even if you're not, what you're doing is you're, you're killing your testimony. Man, people, people at your workplace, they're not going to be able to hear about the glory of God from you because they assume that you're walking outside of God's best. So avoid the appearance of evil. Um, avoid a hint of sexual morality. Don't move in together. Last thing, uh, statistically. 
you are decreasing the odds of your marriage succeeding if you live together before you get married. This one's mind-blowing because the culture thinks, well, I need to move in together uh, and kind of feel them out, kind of get a test run, find out if we're compatible, find out how they do their laundry. Like before we commit, I need to know how life with them really is like. Um, And that makes sense like mentally, right? Like cognitively it sounds right. But the statistics say people who live together before marriage are more likely to get divorced. Why? Because I think God's blessing is on people who obey. I think God's blessing is going to be on people who do it right. Now, if you lived together before you got married, I'm not, like, prophesying death on your marriage. Uh, you can repent. You can get right with God. God can still keep you together. I'm not saying there's no way that it's going to work, but my best advice is to not take that step. So that brings us to our final question today. If you have had multiple sexual relationships, including sex before marriage, how can you possibly marry someone who is faithful? Chances are there's probably a lot of people in the room who – might fall somewhere in this category. Um, In our culture, there's a lot of people who have made some major mistakes sexually with maybe multiple partners. So I want to speak to all of you, not just the person who asked this question. Um, If that's you, the first thing you need to do if you haven't already is repent. Go to God and repent. Uh, One of the things that, that people say in our culture that drives me crazy is people will be like, well, I don't have any regrets about my past because it's who made me who I am today. Um, And I get that, but if you don't have any regrets, you can't repent. Repentance is impossible without regret. Um, Yes, God can use the mistakes of your past to make you better today. He does it all the time. He's an expert at it. I'm so glad that he's used my mistakes to make me better, to make me stronger. But I still regret sinning against him. I still regret hurting him. I regret betraying his heart. Um, And so I've been able to repent for those things. And if you get to a place where you don't regret your past, um, you can't repent from it. So I'd repent it. I'd be honest with God. I'd give him all the gory details. He knows everything you did anyway. But there's a a power uh, of confession that brings healing into our lives. So repent first. Secondly, I'd get rid of any entanglements to those past sexual relationships. If they sent you uh, a a naked picture uh, or even just a picture of the guy with his shirt off or something, but if it takes you back to that, Get rid of it. Burn it, man. Get, just toss it out. Um, they give you a mixed CD with love songs or sexual songs on it. And every time you listen to those, oh, that's our song. And then you get back in the mood. Like, all that stuff is just going to take you back to a bad place. Get rid of it. Get rid of anything that's going to tie you back to sin in your past, whatever that sin might look like. Um, don't see, and, and then this, you ask, how can I marry somebody who's pure? Let, let me just speak to everybody on this. Don't. Just make the priority, I want to marry somebody who's pure. That's not the number one focus. Marry somebody who loves Jesus. That's what you're looking for. I want somebody who loves Jesus. They might have a terrible past. They might have no past. They might be like me and and have sexual sin with multiple people in their past. Or they might be like Melody and, and have completely done it the right way from the beginning. But find somebody who loves Jesus. Because if all you're looking for is somebody who's pure, you might be able to find them outside of Christ. There are people who don't have sex for a, a bunch of other reasons than just loving Jesus. You need somebody who loves Jesus. If that package comes with purity in their past too, like I found, great. Celebrate it. Be grateful for it. It's one of the greatest gifts she could have ever given that she kept herself pure. And I'm so glad that she did. But I didn't go looking for, I'm going to marry a virgin. I wanted a person who loved Jesus. And in the process of finding that, that's how God brought me to Melody. So like Troy said, your goal should be 
to find somebody who wants to be holy and set apart. And when you find that person, no matter their past or if you're in a relationship with that person right now, open up to them and be honest with them. And early on in the relationship, don't minimize your past, don't glorify it, don't justify it, just own it. Tell them you're not proud of it, but that you're proud that you're forgiven. Like I said in the first week of this series, Troy was my first kiss and my first boyfriend, uh, but I was not his. He had messed around with uh, two girls um, and had a bunch of girlfriends. Um, and about a month or two into our dating relationship, he confessed all these things that, uh, I mean, not all these things, but he confessed the things that he had done with these girls and the things he had told me. And I was really hurt and hurt. I was just really taken aback. And here I thought that I had waited and I was ultimately waiting for him too, but he didn't do that for me. And I felt like he had cheated on me with his past. So like I said last week, it takes me a while to forgive people and Troy to forgive people quickly. But I have like a whole process that I need to go through. So it took me a while to forgive him, but I did. And he had repented a, a while ago before, you know, it was happening like 10 years ago before we talked about this. And he had gone through the whole process, uh, but it was all new to him. And so I'm so glad that he had told me early on because uh, what it did was it created a foundation of openness in our communication and our relationship, and we could be honest about everything. So I knew that I could trust him. Amen. Uh, thank you. Keep trusting him. Uh, as we wrap up, there's kind of been a common thread in these questions of, of just purity. Like they, they apply to male, female, young, old, married, single, just across the board. So we just want to give you three very quick tips on how to play offense in your purity. How to, how to protect your purity, how to make sure that you're not just not just playing defense, not just I don't want to think any bad thoughts or being around any bad people, but three things that you can do that are going to help you to, to walk in purity throughout your life. So. so the first tip is to find Christ-centered community. You need people that you can share your hurts with, your sins, your struggles, and even your successes and Amen. victories. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we need to find friends and people that we can confide in that are going to build us up. And then uh, I just want to do a quick plug for um, one of our city groups, uh, which is our small group ministry at City Church. It's going to be kind of weird, but it's our men's small group. It's called Man Up, and it meets um, at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings here at the church. And it might be kind of weird because I am a woman, but my husband goes every single Wednesday. He's been going for three semesters as long as we've had it in the ministry for phenomenal. He comes home every Wednesday just pumped up about it. He tells me everything that he's learned, and he's so excited about our friendships that are being formed there. And one time he even came home and repented about something that he had done, right? So it was awesome, and it's just very cool. So if you're a man in here, whether married, uh, not married, young, old, I would encourage you to be here 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. And if you're a woman here that's married, or maybe you're engaged, you have a boyfriend, I would encourage your man to get here. He has become a better spouse, a better boyfriend, a better husband to you. So our second tip is to understand that purity is worth sacrificing for. So many peop people ask Troy and I, well, how far is too far when we're talking about purity? But I think we need to ask, how do I really feel? Don't even cross that impure line. Stay far from it. Purity is worth the sacrifice. So purity might cost you money because you don't move in together like it did for us. And it might mean that you don't get to see every funny movie that comes out because you're not going to put impure thoughts into your mind. And it might mean that you have a friend group that you're weird with. 
Um, when I was 16, I got a purity ring. I was super excited about it, and it basically meant that I was permission to not have sex before um, I was married. And I was so excited. I went to school, and I showed all my friends, my best friend, who was a Christian, who I went to church with many times. He was looking at me just like, I don't know, it's like right there, but nobody was paying attention to me. And so here I was just pumped up, and she just destroyed it. And um, But Troy has told me so many times that my purity was the best gift that I could have ever been given. So remember, purity is worth the sacrifice. Amen. And so find Christ-centered community. Remember purity is worth the sacrifice. And the third tip for, for us to remain pure is recognize that you need a Savior. Recognize you need a Savior. We played a DC Talk earlier, that song. There's, there's another DC Talk song called In the Light. And there's a line in there that's always stuck with me. And it says, I'm still a man in need of a Savior. You might be here and you've been saved for 40 years. You might be here and you've been saved for, for four months. Maybe you're here and you're not saved at all. No matter where you are on that, you need a Savior. I don't just need Jesus to save me from my sins, just to save me from hell. I need me to save him. I need him to save me from myself on a daily basis. I need him to save me from my flesh. Um, remember, recognize that you need a Savior. If you have that Savior in your life, lean into him on a daily basis. Lean into to his example. Lean into to his role model uh, to, to help you, to strengthen you, to resist temptation. Um, lean into Jesus. If you don't have a Savior now, purity is not your number one priority. Um, I don't want you to walk out of here and be like, don't have sex. That's not the, the message. The message is you need Jesus. That's the greatest thing that you can learn. Um, once you have Jesus and he puts his Holy Spirit in you, now he's going to empower you to walk out the, the things that he's asking of you. Um, but the most important thing is you need to meet him. So recognize that you need a Savior. So as we wrap up our message today, I want to pray. Um, and if you're here today and you're far from God, we're going to offer you in just a minute a chance to respond. A chance to say, you know what, I need this Savior in my life. Um, so be ready. You're going to